What is going on, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor, Season 3, Episode 25, and I've got another exciting episode on tap for you all this week. I recap every game in the NFL's Week 11, including the Browns' ugly win versus the Lions and a couple of statement games around the league. The college football season is in the last week of the regular season, and there are some crucial games this weekend that I'll have a preview of. And also, in the NBA, LeBron James got suspended. We will react to that and more. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Anchor. Anchor is the absolutely easiest way to make a podcast. Creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you have any interest in making your very own podcast, download the free Anchor app from the Google Play Store, App Store, or Microsoft Store today. Or go online to anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. Today is Tuesday, November 23rd. Let's go. And welcome to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor, Season 3, Episode 25. And you know what time it is. We have a recap of Week 11. We start in Tampa, where Eli Manning wasn't walking through the door to save the Giants against Tom Terrific. Brady extended his ridiculous streak of 288 straight games without a three-game losing streak. And Danny Dimes dropped to 0-8 in primetime in his career. The Giants fired offensive coordinator Jason Garrett and promoted our sweet, sweet prince, Freddie Kitchens, to offensive coordinator after this loss. Mike Evans set the record for most touchdowns in Buccaneers history, and the Buccaneers roll. 30-10. 30-10. to 10. We go to SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, where two AFC playoff hopefuls, the Chargers and the Steelers, did battle on Sunday night football. The Chargers' notorious ability to blow leads late in the fourth quarter was on display as the Steelers came all the way back to take a late 37-34 lead. But then, Justin Herbert found Mike Williams against the Steelers' defense that was missing T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. He found Williams wide open for a go-ahead score. It was a good back-and-forth battle, but in the end, the Chargers hold on and win 41-37. We go to the great Northwest in Seattle, Washington, where Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson looks to get a win against Colt McCoy. Huh? Huh? McCoy outdueled Wilson, and the Cardinals' defense held him without a touchdown for the second straight game. For the Cardinals, no Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins, no problem. 
They moved to 6-0 on the road, with all six of those road wins coming by double digits. The cards are for real, as they win 23-13. We go to Kansas City, where the Cowboys and the Chiefs met in a potential Super Bowl preview. The Kansas City defense might be having the best turnaround of 2021, holding a Dallas offense that had scored two touchdowns in every game to zero in this one. Though the Chiefs' offense isn't all the way back, their defense is elite right now, and that spells trouble for the rest of the AFC. Chiefs win 19-9. We go to Las Vegas where the Raiders took on the Bengals in a matchup with important wildcard implications in the AFC. In the Carson Palmer Bowl, if you will, the Cincinnati did not disappoint as Joe Mixon scored in his seventh straight game to keep the Bengals firmly in the playoff discussion as they win 32-13. We go to Carolina where it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Super Cam Newton, that is, who is back starting for the Carolina Panthers. But it was another former Panthers quarterback coach duo that got their revenge. It's Taylor Heineke and Ron Rivera. Went into, went into Carolina and spoiled Cam Newton's homecoming. I'm not saying the team without a name could make the playoffs, but having a tie-breaking win over the Panthers is a good start as the football team beat the Panthers 27-21. We go to Chicago where it was a battle of backup quarterbacks and it came down to the wire. I think Matt Nagy should be fired on Thursday regardless of if the Bears beat the winless Lions or not after blowing this game to Tyler Huntley. After Andy Dalton threw two clutch touchdown passes, the Ravens, who hadn't scored a touchdown all day, marched right down the field for a game-winning touchdown. The Ravens get bailed out by mediocre late-game defense once again and win 16-13. We go to Philadelphia, where the Philly fans were singing Fly, Eagles, Fly, and Philadelphia Eagles coach Nick Sirianni has embraced the strengths of his young quarterback Jalen Hurts and has turned the Eagles into a run-heavy offense, and man, has it paid off. The Eagles ran all over the Saints en route to a 40-29 victory. I'm not saying the Eagles are a lock for the playoffs, but looking at their schedule the rest of the year, they have more than a fighting chance as the Eagles win 40-29. We head to Cleveland in the Great Lakes Classic between the Browns and the Winless Lions, and this game was every bit as ugly as you'd expect from the only two franchises to ever go 0-16. The only quarterback in the NFL who played worse than Baker Mayfield on Sunday was Lions starting quarterback Tim Boyle. Cleveland should be thankful for Nick Chubb and that offensive line this Thanksgiving, or else they could have been the Lions' first win, as the Browns win 13-10. We go to Buffalo where the Bills were looking to get a win over another AFC playoff contender, but the Colts had other ideas. It was a 2020 playoff rematch between the Colts and the Bills, and Jonathan Taylor proved that he is one of the top two running backs in the NFL right now. And he's having one of the best and most consistent seasons in NFL history as he carved through the Bills defense for five touchdowns. Indy might finally be living up to the expectations that were lofty this offseason as they roll the Bills 41-15. We go to Minneapolis where the Packers took on the Vikings. Kirk Cousins tied Aaron Rodgers for the most games this season with multiple pass touchdowns without an interception. Justin Jefferson established himself as a true number one receiver, going for over 160 receiving yards with two touchdowns. And the NFC North might become a two-horse race as the Vikings win 34-31. 
We go to Jacksonville where the Niners are back. Debo is playing running back. Nick Boza is getting sacks. And the Niners wax Jacks and win 30 to 10. We go to New York where don't look now, but the Dolphins have won three in a row. Tua was throwing it all over the field, and he leads the Finns to their third straight win, beating the Jets 24-17. We go to Nashville, where Tyrod Taylor had five touchdowns, and the Texans snapped an eight-game losing streak against the AFC AFC's best team, just like we all expected, right? I can't read this Titans team because they've had great wins against teams like Buffalo, Kansas City, and New Orleans, and horrible losses against the Jets and the Texans. Is this Titans team for real? The world may never know. As the Texans win 22-13. We finish in Atlanta in a Super Bowl 51 rematch. And the Patriots defense was on full display. Shutting out the Falcons and winning by a fitting 25-point margin. As the Patriots are back, folks. And they win 25 to nothing. Week 11 of the NFL season is in the books, and that was the fastest five minutes in football brought to you by Anchor. And there were some pretty pretty big games that happened this weekend. Uh, we'll get to our how we did in game picks this weekend. It was pretty good. We were above 500 again in game picks, but there were some surprises this week, some statement games like that Colts game against the Bills. But we're going to start with the Cleveland Browns against the Detroit Lions. Me and my dad got to go to this game. I got to be in the crowd for the first time this season to witness a Cleveland Browns game. And man, oh man, it was the ugliest performance probably of the year besides last week when the Browns were horrible against the Patriots. But this Lions team, the Browns should have blew the, blown them out. They should have blown them out. Uh, there was a point where the Browns went up 13-0 in the second quarter. It felt like a blowout. In the third quarter, Denzel Ward intercepted a pass from Tim Boyle, and I thought, this is a get-right game for the Browns. They're going to get right. And there were some things to take away posit positively for the Browns. They ran the ball very, very well. Dearness Johnson was off the bench, obviously playing kind of a limited role behind Nick Chubb, but he had five carries for 26 yards. He averaged over five yards a carry. Nick Chubb was the workhorse that he's been all year for the Browns on Sunday. He had 22 carries, 130 yards, averaging six yards a carry. He had a receiving touchdown. The crowd was chanting, Chubb, 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 in the fourth quarter because I, the reason I was chanting in the fourth quarter Nick Chubb's name is because I was pleading for Kevin Stefanski to please give him the ball because nothing, and I mean nothing Baker Mayfield was doing on Sunday worked at all. Baker's final stat line, 15 to 29, 176 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And the interceptions were ugly, folks. He was missing wide open receivers like David Njoku, like Jarvis Landry, left and right. In the fourth quarter, I don't think he made a single good throw. It was tough to watch. And he was getting booed. And that takes us to the first thing I want to talk about today is this whole Baker Mayfield booing saga. Um... I think Baker Mayfield, I respect the heck out of the guy for playing injured. We know he's been injured since week two against the Texans. He's been playing with a torn labrum, with a broken collarbone, with a knee injury, with a foot injury. He's been playing with a lot of stuff. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff, and he's gutted it through, and he's a real leader of this football team. But at some point, you got to – Put that aside. I don't care if you're hurt. 
if you playing is hurting the team, you shouldn't be playing. And obviously him playing hurt the team on Sunday because he looked horrible. And it's the second week in a row he has looked horrible. I don't know what it was about the Bengals game. Maybe it was the whole Odell drama. Maybe it was because they were fired up it was a division game. But that was the only game since I would probably say the Chargers game that Baker Mayfield has looked like the player we saw last year. I think a lot of it has to do with injury. And at some point, if you're hurting the team that much with their injury, you got to give the backup quarterback who you're paying $6.5 million a chance to come in and do his job. But this is really interesting to me. Here's what Baker Mayfield had to say after getting asked about the fans that were booing him on Sunday for his poor performance. Here it is from Jake Trotter of ESPN who tweeted the video. Here, Have a listen. Baker, what did you make of, of some of the booing there in the second half from the fans? Those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care. Those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care. Don't really care. I don't know what Baker Mayfield needs to do right now. I don't know what he needs to do to get right on the field. I don't know if it's all the injury, if some of it's some head stuff, if he's in his own head too much, if he's feeling a lot of pressure. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you one thing he should never do. You can't pick a fight against Cleveland fans like he's doing with that statement. The only time the fans were loud on offense and the only time I could visibly, I was in the stands, I could visibly see Baker quieting down the crowd was in the fourth quarter when the fans were cheering and chanting Nick Chubb's name. If the fans aren't allowed to cheer, what are they there for, Baker? And another, another thing, Baker, do you really need complete and utter silence to operate the offense? Is that why you haven't been good on the road this year? Is that why you couldn't win in Kansas City in the playoffs? Is that why? Because you can't do it when it's too loud. Because if it is, you're not, the, you're not a franchise quarterback. You shouldn't be playing quarterback in the NFL if a little noise bothers you that much. Cleveland fans are the most loyal fans in all of football. They stuck through 1-15. They stuck through 0-16. Baker Mayfield, what you need to do right now is you need to worry a little bit less about talking about the fans and a little more about getting right and fixing the issues you have on the field. That's just my opinion. I don't know what it is. I just don't understand it. Mike Greenberg had an interesting quote on Get Up ESPN today. He said, Baker Mayfield needs to shut up. If he's too hurt to play, then don't play. In the meantime, don't criticize the fans who were there before you got there and will be there long after you're gone. Long after you're gone. And I completely agree with, Mike, what, with what Mike Greenberg is saying in that statement. Because Baker Mayfield looked really, really, really bad on Sunday. Like I said, don't know how much of it's on the injury. Don't know how much of it's in his head. But I can tell you what also needs to stop besides him calling out the fans after the game. His wife, Emily Mayfield, I'm sure she's a lovely woman. I'm sure they're a lovely couple. She needs to not get involved with on-the-field stuff. She needs to not get involved with on-the-field stuff. Emily Mayfield, after the game Sunday, reposted something on her Instagram story that essentially called out the 
toughness of the rest of the Browns besides her husband, Baker Mayfield. It said something to the effect of the fans who are booing Baker Mayfield in Cleveland don't deserve him. He is tougher than anybody out there on the field. And quite frankly, his teammates should be getting tougher and be as tough as Baker Mayfield. It's the same thing that Odell Beckham Jr.'s father did. It's the same exact situation. His, a family member of his is openly criticizing his teammates on social media. That cannot fly in a functional organization. We had thought this Browns organization turned a corner after last year with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry at the helm. And I still think there's time to get it right this season. But that stuff off the field cannot fly. And I don't think it will. But with all that being said, I'm this upset after a Browns victory. And I've been a fan for this team since I was born. For 21 years. I sat through 0-16 and 1-15 and 4-12 and in the countless 5-11 and years under Eric Mangini. I will take a 13-10 win against the Detroit Lions. I will never apologize for a win in the NFL. I was happy as heck to be in the stands there with my dad and see a Cleveland Browns victory. And we knew it coming in. We knew. The Ravens, these two games, they had the Ravens at Baltimore, at Baltimore Sunday Night Football this week, a bye week, and then versus the Ravens at home. We knew that these two games would be the telling point on how successful the Browns can be this season. And if you go out and win these two games, you're right in the spot you need to be. So, Baker Mayfield, still got your back, man. You just need to play better. That's why I was booing you. I was holding you accountable. The Browns are getting Kareem Hunt back and Jack Conklin back this week. And it's a must-win game against the Ravens. We will get to that in our game picks. But right now, we are going to go to our power rankings in the NFL after week 11. And there's some shifting. I've been very high on the Buffalo Bills all year, but they kind of stunk on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. So they're going to drop in my power rankings. But let's get to our number one team. I believe number one last week, I had the Packers. Number one this week, I had the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, they haven't had Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins in weeks, but they still keep winning. Take about Colt McCoy, the veteran quarterback, the former Cleveland Brown. He put on a clinic in his third start in place of Kyler Murray. He threw for 328 yards and two touchdowns, leading the Cardinals to a win over Seattle. It positioned Arizona at top of the NFC as it hits a perfectly timed bye week. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are going to get right in, right in the bye week. And Colt McCoy probably bought himself another five years as a backup in the NFL. It's a good gig for Colt McCoy. Cardinals are 9-2. and two. I'm really impressed with them. I'm always impressed when a team is 6-0 and on the road. And not just that, all their wins in the road are by double digits. Cardinals are my number one team. Number two, we're going to go with the Green Bay Packers. I had them number one last week. Like I mentioned, a little bit concerned about their defense. Um, it surged to begin the month of November. It was nowhere to be seen last week against Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson. They were brilliant on Sunday. And they and even the Packers, who have been able to rely on Aaron Rodgers for years, they were unable to stave off 
a last-second defeat against the Vikings. They had blown coverages. Uh, they lost versatile offensive lineman El- El- Elton Jenkins to a season-ending torn ACL. And Rodgers ha- aggravated a toe injury, which he sounded concerned about in his post-game presser. They remain in good shape, but they need to grind their way to the finish line if they want to have a chance at making the Super Bowl, which I think they're still fully capable of. Number three, I hate to say it, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. I went on this podcast, I believe, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I said the Chiefs are not a lock to make the playoffs. I might have even gone as far as to saying the Chiefs will not make the playoffs, but they're back. And it's not because of the reason you would think. It's not because their offense is setting the world on fire. Even though they put up 41 points against the Raiders last week, they only put up 19 against a pretty good Cowboys defense. But it was Chris Jones and the rising Chiefs defense that played a starring role on Sunday against the Cowboys. Chris Jones was a wrecking pile. He had three and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and a recovered fumble. And they also had good performances from the back end in Traverius Ward and Legereus Sneed, who registered crucial interception, interceptions excuse me, of Dak Prescott. The Chiefs look like a team ready to restore order in the AFC. They moved to 7-4. and four. They're my number three team in the power rankings. Number four, we got to go with the Buccaneers. They were back on their game Monday night, moving with clinical efficiency. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Rob Gronkowski all had 65 yards receiving. The defense played well against an ailing Giants offense, and Tom Brady crossed 300 yards through the air the fifth time this season. So the Bucs, they're back. They're my number four team. Number five, I'm going to go with the Patriots. They are a big, big riser in these power rankings. Um... Mac Jones has been an upgrade over Cam Newton, but the Patriots' biggest difference is a defense that has surged during the team's five-game winning streak. In that stretch, the Patriots have given up just 10 points per game with 12 interceptions against just four touchdown passes. Matt Judon stands tall as the leader of this group. He is up to 10.5 sacks and is going to be an all-pro. The Pats match their 2020 win total by Thanksgiving, and they're in first place in the AFC East as a result. They're number five for me. Number six, I got the Cowboys. They struggled on Sunday. Their offense did, but their defense is very, very good. Dak Prescott struggled on the big stage, and their offensive line failed to protect the team's most prized asset. By game's end, he had thrown two interceptions, lost a fumble, and was sacked five times. The excellent performance by the defense is something that is that is good going down the stretch. They're 7-3. and three. They're still in first place by a healthy margin in the NF- NFC East. They shrunk in the spotlight, though, but they got a get-right game on Thanksgiving at home. Another nationally televised game against the playoff team and the Raiders that are ver- the, and a, a playoff contender, excuse me, in the Raiders that are struggling a lot. But right now the Raiders are my number six uh, – the Cowboys, excuse me, are my number six team in the NFL. Number seven, we're going to go with the Bills, I believe. Yeah. The alarm, ball, the alarm bell and the panic button have been pressed in western New York. The Colts came to town, made themselves at home on Sunday. They dominated in all three phases of the game. Jonathan Taylor scored five touchdowns and gained 185 yards, the most surrendered by the Bills in three seasons. Josh Allen wasn't very good. He threw two picks and fumbled once, and the Bills' offense has been out of sync all year. Their second-place team now, They'll be under the microscope in prime time on Thanksgiving against the Saints. But they're my number seven team in the NFL right now. Number eight, we're going to go with the Rams. 
Um, if the Rams are the type of team that gains motivation from the doubts of others, well, last week's bye week might have been a productive week. Los Angeles was Los Angeles was bullied by more physical teams in the Titans and the Niners, framing a narrative that the Rams are soft and they don't have the toughness to be Super Bowl contenders. This all feels like a little bit of nonsense, but Sean McVay's team needs to go out and show it won't be push around. Meanwhile, Odell Beckham Jr.'s presence is now a necessity after Robert Woods was lost to his torn ACL. He hasn't performed like a star in year, Odell. Los Angeles is now in an uncomfortable position, needing the wide receiver to successfully turn back the clock to 2014. Number nine, I got the Titans. Uh, nothing should be really considering stunning in the NFL this season, but them losing to the tight, the Texans was pretty stunning. Ryan Tannehill threw four interceptions and increasingly appeared like a man alone on an island once A.J. Brown and Julio Jones joined Derrick Henry on the list of unavailable stars. Tennessee has shown no hints of mounting a sustainable offense since Derrick Henry went on the shelf after foot surgery. This all feels like terrible timing for a game against the Red Hot Patriots. They're my number nine team in the NFL. Number 10, we got the Minnesota Vikings. They're the most unpredictable, but maybe the most dangerous team in in the NFC. Kirk Cousins threw three touchdown passes, including two to the unstoppable Justin Jefferson and a 34-31 win over the Packers. The Vikings are humming like they are right now, and when they're doing that, they can beat anybody. I like this Vikings team. I think they're going to make the playoffs. They're my number 10 team. Closing out the top 15, we're not going to explain why. We're just going to go rapid fire. Number 11, Indianapolis Colts. Number 12, Chargers. 13, Ravens. 14 Browns and 15 Bengals. Those are my top 15 teams in the NFL. And with that, let's get to our game picks for week 12 of the NFL season, which of course starts on Thursday, Thanksgiving. And we would like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you guys eat some great food. Hope you guys get to spend some time with your family who you might have missed last year during COVID. It's going to be a great, great holiday. But unfortunately for us, we don't have great football to look forward to. Last week in our game picks, let's take let's calculate our record really quick here. We went 11 and 4 on the week, a very productive week, 11 and 4. We are now 104 and 59 on the year in game picks, and we're going to do even better this week. The first game on Thanksgiving Day, a real snoozer, a backup quarterback battle between Andy Dalton and Tim Boyle as the Bears take on the Lions. And man, oh man, what could America have a worse game on Thanksgiving? I don't know. I, who, who do I pick? I think I have to go with the Lions at home. I, I don't know. Something about the Lions always seem to play well in the first half of Thanksgiving. And I think the Bears really, really, really want to fire Matt, Matt Nagy. And a loss to the Lions would be cause to fire Matt Nagy. So I'll go with the Lions over the Bears in the first game of Thanksgiving. The second game of Thanksgiving, I mentioned it in the power rankings, the Raiders at the Cowboys. It's a loser-leaves-town game, in my opinion, and so is the next game we're going to be talking about in a minute, but in that the loser of this game probably takes a significant step back in the playoff race, and I think it's a must-win game for the Cowboys more than it is for the Raiders. 
And I think the Cowboys know that the Raiders are a team they should beat. I think the Cowboys will win on Thanksgiving Day in front of the fans in Jerry World. The Bills at the Saints, primetime Thanksgiving night. The Bills coming off a pretty bad loss to the Colts. The Saints coming off an equally bad loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know what the Saints are doing at quarterback. Trevor Simeon is obviously not the answer. Um, I just don't understand it. I think he is not great. He's not a great quarterback. He is average at best. They have Taysom Hill on the roster who did well last year filling in for Drew Brees. They're paying him so much money to be a quarterback, even though I know he's good running the ball and good at playing special teams and all that. Get him in the game as a quarterback. Don't know what they're waiting for. And the Bills, on the other hand, their offense needs to get right. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have not been on the same page all season long. And that run defense was horrible on Sunday. Maybe the Saints, if they get Alvin Kamara back, maybe the Saints can use that recipe and run the ball down the throat of the Bills defense. And maybe that'll be a good Maybe that'll be a good a good get right game for them. But I'll have I have to pick the Bills because I have to think the Bills are gonna get right. And the Saints are more inconsistent than the Bills this season, in my opinion. An AFC North matchup Sunday in Cincinnati. This is another game where the loser is in a pretty bad spot in the playoff position. It's the 5-4-1 Steelers versus the 6-4 Bengals. The Bengals coming off a much-needed win out of the bye against the Raiders. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase connected for a touchdown. Joe Mixon scored in his seventh straight game. And the the defense looked good, giving up only 13 points to the Raiders. The Steelers, on the other hand, are coming off a horrible defensive game against the Chargers. And there's no word on the status of T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. At the time of this recording on Tuesday, I'm going to assume that they are out on Sunday. And that's why I'm going to pick the Bengals over the Steelers. Buccaneers in Indianapolis on Sunday. My upset pick of the week. I got to go with the Colts. I picked them last week. It worked out as my upset pick last week. I'm going with the Colts again this week. I think... Jonathan Taylor is having an MVP-type season for the Colts as a running back. He's just putting the team on his back, and they are going to go as far as he takes them. And the Buccaneers, they had a nice win against the Giants, but this run defense hasn't been tested like this this season. And I think the Colts are going to win at home against the Buccaneers. Cam Newton and the Panthers at Miami. Tua and the Dolphins. The Dolphins on a three-game winning streak. And I think the Dolphins extend it to five. I don't know what when this flip switch for the Dolphins, but after that Ravens win, the team has a different feel to them. Brian Flores has them playing good football. Tua is throwing the ball downfield better. The defense is looking like the defense we saw last year when they went 10-6. and six. And I, I think they are more consistent than the Panthers have been this season. I think it'll be a close win. I'll take the, the Dolphins by five to six points on Sunday. The battle of the top two teams record-wise right now in the AFC is the Titans travel to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. And right now, my pick for this game is simple. One team is trending in the right direction. One team is trending in the wrong direction. And I'm going to pick the team that's trending in the right direction, and that's the New England Patriots. The defense has been playing well. Mac Jones is having a great rookie year. 
And Bill Belichick is firing on all cylinders right now. And the Titans can't seem to put anything together on offense. And I think the Patri- Patriots defense will make it tough on Ryan Tannehill on Sunday. And the Patriots will win this game by seven points as they beat the Titans. An NFC East matchup between the Eagles and the Giants. I'm going to go with the Eagles. The Giants just fired Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator. They're going to have Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. That in itself is reason to pick against the Giants. But I really like what Nick Sirianni is doing with this Eagles, Eagles team. He's relying on the strengths of his quarterback, Jalen Hurts. He's transformed this Eagles offense into a run-first offense, utilizing good running backs like Miles Sanders, like Jordan Howard, like Boston Scott, and occasionally go and obviously utilizing the athleticism of his young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and also utilizing an effective play-action offense, throwing deep to Devontae Smith, who is an outstanding, outstanding rookie receiver. I love what the Eagles are doing. They're playing great football right now. I like them over the Giants on Sunday. A who cares game? The Falcons take on the Jaguars. I'll go with the Jags at home. I, I, I don't know. I just think the Jaguars have to win a couple games, right? They looked horrible last week. So did the Falcons. The Falcons probably looked worse. I'm going to go with the Jags. That's that simple. Another who cares game between the 2-8 and eight Jets and the 2-8 and eight Texans. I'll take the Texans because I know who will be starting at quarterback for them on Sunday. And I don't know who will be starting at quarterback for the Jets on Sunday. As it was announced, Mike White and Joe Flacco both got added to the COVID-19 list. So I'll go with Terod Taylor and the Texans. Chargers at Broncos. Give me the Chargers. I like the Chargers offense. I like Brandon Staley, the John Carroll graduate, what he's doing with this team. The Broncos are too inconsistent for me. So I'll go with the Chargers in that one. Good game in the NFC on Sunday as the Rams go to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. I don't love the L.A. Rams coming off a bye, having to go to the frozen tundra in 20-degree weather against Green Bay. Give me the Packers. Great, great, great potential playoff matchup. I shouldn't say potential playoff matchup. I should say playoff implication matchup in the NFC on Sunday as the 5-5 Vikings travel to Santa Clara to take on the 5-5 49ers. I got to take the Vikings right now. Um, it's just that I trust the Vikings offense more than I trust the 49ers offense. And, but we'll have to wait and see. I think the Niners defense is playing well as of late. Nick Boza is getting a lot of, wreaking a lot of havoc on backfields, getting a lot of sacks. But at the end of the day, I like the Vikings offense more than the 49ers offense. Big, big, big AFC North game between the Browns and the Ravens. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. A must-win game for the Cleveland Browns on Sunday Night Football. The game was the season was always going to come down to these two games. You have to win on Sunday. You have to strengthen up, flex your muscles, and run the ball down the Ravens' throats. Run it down their throats. You're getting Kareem Hunt back from injured reserve. You're getting Nick Chubb, obviously, who's already back, who's coming off an 130-yard game. You're getting Jack Conklin back in the fold on the offensive line. The team is going to be pretty much fully healthy for the first time since week one. You need to run the football. Baker Mayfield is not going to be fully healthy. He, you can't, Kevin Stefanski, I am talking to you. You cannot let Baker Mayfield try to win this game with his arm. You just can't. And on the defensive side of the ball, don't let Lamar Jackson beat you with his legs. Make him beat beat you with his arms. 
You saw it on Sunday against Chicago. The Ravens' running game is struggling. They don't have a true number one running back right now because they're two of their running backs, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, had season-ending injuries at the start of the year. Their secondary did struggle against Andy Dalton last game, and it struggled against a Bengals team that the Browns manhandled. Defensively, the Browns were great defensively against the Bengals. And the Bengals torched the Ravens. It's a winnable game for the Browns, but my keys to success for the Browns, one, run the football and let that establish play action situations, not the other way around. Number two, make Lamar Jackson beat you with his arm and not with his legs. And number three, take away Mark Andrews. Because if you take away Mark Andrews, the only other viable receiver Lamar Jackson will have is Marquise Hollywood Brown. And I like Denzel Ward's chances against Marquise Brown. But the Browns have struggled with tight ends this year. They struggle with Travis Kelsey every time they match up against Kansas City. They struggle with Pat Fryermuth at Pittsburgh. They can't struggle with Mark Andrews on Sunday if they have a chance to win. With all that being said, I have to go with my head and not my heart, and I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens to win on Sunday. And Monday Night Football, we got a primetime matchup between the ailing Seattle Seahawks and the surging Washington football team. And shout out my friend Austin Arnold. I'm going to go with your football team to win their third straight game and move to five and seven and five and six, excuse me, and right in that mix in the NFC playoff picture. And that is going to do it for part one of this episode. We're going to take a quick break and hear an ad from our friends at Anchor. When we come back, college football playoff top four predictions, a recap of last week in college football. It's the last week of the regular season in college football. We pick every important game, including Ohio State, Michigan and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 25 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. Sorry, I'm laughing. Uh, I took a break, obviously, to uh, you know set up the equipment for Part 2 of the episode. And my, friend, uh, my, my friend Benji here, which is my girlfriend's dog, uh, he, he freaked out because he was sleeping, and, and then he heard me start talking to you guys out of nowhere on the podcast. But let's get into the college football playoff rankings. And we had a lot of shakeup happen this weekend in the college football playoff rankings. As Oregon loses their first game of the their excuse me their second game of the year. So they get blown out by number twenty three Utah thirty eight to seven, and Oregon relatively ends their season. They will not be. In the college football playoff, in my opinion. So where does that leave us? Well, let's take a look at how the other teams in the top four did this weekend. Georgia won a game against Charleston South, 56-7. So they're obviously still going to be number one. They're undefeated. They rightfully should be number one. I think number two should be Ohio State. But right now the committee has Alabama number two. Alabama... Had a good offensive performance this weekend. Not a great defensive performance in a 42-35 win over number 21 Arkansas. Bryce Young set the record for most yards thrown by an Alabama quarterback as he threw for 559 yards. And Alabama clinched the SEC West Championship and has their that SEC Championship circled as a date with Georgia looms in two weeks. But Alabama, they look great. They look, they look, they look good, but not great. A team that looked great, who I think should jump Alabama in the college football playoff rankings tonight, is the number four Ohio State Buckeyes, who absolutely crushed number seven Michigan State 
56 to 7. In the first half of this game, CJ Stroud threw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. Didn't see the, the, the field in the third quarter, and Ohio State rolled over a top 10 team 56 to 7. Ohio State has a number one offense in the land. They held the one of one of the uh, Michigan State offense with the number one running back maybe in college football to only 7 points. Ohio State is all the way back. And they have activated their death star on offense with using the likes of Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson and of course in my opinion the Heisman front runner CJ Stroud. And if I'm Georgia, I would be very, very nervous to play a team like Ohio State potentially in the national championship. But the Buckeyes looked really, really good on Sunday. And if you're a Buckeye fan like me, you should be very excited for the rest of this year. And then the argument for number four. There are three teams that I would consider who have a legitimate argument at the fourth ranking in the college football playoff rankings. That would be Cincinnati, who's undefeated. They're 11-0. They just beat SMU by a healthy, healthy margin. They're probably going to go undefeated and win their conference out of the American Athletic Conference. They're a non-Power 5 team, which is a knock, in my opinion, on them. because they, But they do have a very nice win against the top 10 team, Notre Dame, on the road. They have an argument. Michigan, who is 10-1 right now. They control their own destiny of the college football playoff, in my opinion. Their only loss is to a top 15 team in Michigan State. They looked very, very good. They've looked very good since that game. They looked very good before that game. They have an argument right now, too, because, like I said, they control their own destiny. They could still win the Big Ten. And then the other team who feels like it is getting slept on by most of America is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. They are, have one loss in the season, which is not a great loss to Iowa State. But their defense has been playing very well in the Big 12, which is hard to do in the Big 12. They only have one loss. They have Oklahoma this week. They can get a win against Oklahoma, who is another one-loss team. That would be a very, very nice win for them. And I think Oklahoma State, if they can win the Big 12 with one loss, they should be considered. Other teams on the outside looking in are Oklahoma, like I mentioned. Notre Dame is another one. I think that Notre Dame doesn't have the benefit of having the opportunity to win a conference. Otherwise, they would be higher on my options list for number four, and they also have a loss to a team in front of them in Cincinnati. But like I said, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Oklahoma State are the teams that I would consider for the fourth spot right now. And for the fourth spot right now, I would have to give it to Cincinnati. I think all their number of wins they have are better than any wins Oklahoma State and Michigan have. And they're undefeated right now. And so I would give them the fourth spot right now acknowledging, though, that Michigan and Oklahoma State have the chance to add some better wins down the stretch than Cincinnati does. So those are my, that would be my top four right now. I would go, I would go Alabama 1, I'm, excuse me, Georgia 1, not Alabama 1, Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, Cincinnati 4, with Michigan at 5 and Oklahoma State at 6 on the outside looking in. And that brings us to our next topic. Who do I think the Heisman Trophy favorite is? Is it Bryce Young of Alabama or C.J. Stroud from Ohio State? And those two right now are the only two viable options, in my opinion. Uh, they've been both playing very well in two of the best teams in the country. And like we said, year in and year out, except last year was a 
was an outlier. This is historically a quarterback award. Just comparing the stat lines of these two, they're very similar. Bryce Young, he is having an outstanding freshman year for Alabama. He is thrown for 3,585 yards, 38 passing touchdowns, and three INTs. And rushing, let's see his rushing. He has two rushing touchdowns as well. He's not a very mobile quarterback, but he's he's thrown the ball, 38 touchdowns, three interceptions. Very good stat line for him. C.J. Stroud, on the other hand, for the Buckeyes, has thrown for 3,468 yards, 36 touchdowns, and five interceptions, as well as having – well, he hasn't rushed much either. I thought, I thought C.J. Stroud rushed, much, rushed more than he has this season, but – my argument for C.J. Stroud being the Heisman Trophy favorite is that on Saturday, C.J. Stroud threw for 432 yards and six touchdowns and didn't touch the field in the second half. That's how impressive Stroud has been this season. And Bryce Young, on the other hand, he had a great game, sure, but he had to play till the final whistle and still threw for 559 yards and five touchdowns. But Stroud threw for more touchdowns in the first half than Bryce Young did through the through the, the, the whole game. And if he would have played the second half, he could have thrown for 700 yards. I think C.J. Stroud had his Heisman moment on Saturday against Michigan State and still has the potential to have more Heisman moments against Michigan and the Big Ten Championship potentially. And the same could be said for Bryce Young, but I think C.J. Stroud – has more opportunity to play well in big moments. And that's and he, they always have to have a Heisman moment, right? And so I think C.J. Stroud has a better opportunity for one. Let's get to our game picks for the college football slate this weekend, starting not, with, not ju- just with a game, but the game, as the Ohio State Buckeyes travel to Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines. The winner of this game will represent the Big Ten East and the Big Ten Championship and will control their own destiny to the college football playoff. I think this will be a good game. I think we are all expecting it to be a good game. But I think we're also forgetting something. I think that we're forgetting that last year this game didn't happen. This game didn't happen last year. It was canceled for the first time. It didn't happen for 103 years. And I think, if it's fair or not, Ohio State felt slighted by that. They felt like Michigan was dodging them last year. Ohio State was playing their best football. They Obviously, we saw it when they beat Clemson in the college football playoff. And Michigan, even though they had a COVID outbreak, some Ohio State players, I've seen it on social media, they felt like Michigan dodged them. And that Michigan could have played that game but they didn't want to lose to Ohio State because we all know that's what would have happened last year. So in terms of motivation for this game, I think the motivation is higher on Ohio State's side. And what does that say about Coach Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? You haven't beaten Ohio State in six years. You've been at Michigan. Don't you think the seniors in Michigan should be a little more motivated than the Ohio State players? I just don't think that's how it is right now. And I think That's sad because this rivalry, I still think, is the best in all of sports. But I think Michigan will make this a game. I don't think by any means it's going to be as big of a blowout as we saw in 2018 and 2019 when Ohio State was putting up 50-plus on Michigan. 
But we all remember the phone call that Ryan Day had with Jim Harbaugh on Big Ten Media Day this offseason. When Jim Harbaugh made a comment about beating Ohio State and Ryan Day was heard on the recorded phone call saying, we're going to drop 100 on you this year. Coach Ryan Day, the Ohio State Buckeyes, said that. In word, it's, it's recorded. You can look it up. He said that to Jim Harbaugh. I love that attitude from Ryan Day. I love that attitude from Ohio State. Like I said, C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, is the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. This Ohio State team has everything in front of them, as does this Michigan team. But at the end of the day, who's playing the better football right now? Ohio State, statistically, the best offense in the nation. They have too many weapons. They have Travion Henderson, one of the best freshman running back in the nation. They have, two, in my opinion, the three top receivers in the nation, and Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And they have the Heisman Trophy frontrunner in C.J. Stroud. I think Ohio State's going to come out swinging. I think they're going to be more motivated. And at the end of the day, I think they have too many weapons for Michigan to keep up with. And until Michigan can prove me wrong, I, in my right mind, cannot pick a Jim Harbaugh-led Michigan team over Ohio State. I just can't do it. I don't know if it's because I'm wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt right now or because I root for the Buckeyes, but you've seen the product on the field. Michigan hasn't been anywhere close to beating Ohio State since Ryan Days got there, and it even stems back to when Urban Meyer got there. They haven't beaten Ohio State since 2011. It's been 10 years, and I think it's going to be 11 after Saturday. That brings us to the second game on the ESPN app that we are going to pick. And how often do we get to say this? The Kent State Golden Flashes are on the ESPN app in one of the games of the week to pick. It's one of the games of the week on the ESPN app. And here's why. Because it's for the MAC East Division title. As the Kent State Golden Flashes welcome in the Miami Red Hawks to Dick Stadium. The winner will go to Detroit to take on the Northern Illinois Huskies in the MAC Championship on Saturday, December 4th. And I'm excited for this game. I'm going to get to cover this game for TV, too. I'll be there in the press box on Saturday at Dick Stadium. And it's a great, it's a great matchup. It's the number one total scoring offense in the MAC in Kent State versus the number one total scoring defense in the MAC in Miami. It's... A strength versus strength. It's a classic, classic, classic game. And I got to talk to Coach Sean Lewis this week. And on Monday, I asked him, I said, Coach, you know, this quarterback, what do you do to make him fi- to make mistakes? He, uh, Brett Gabbert is Miami's quarterback. He's thrown 20 touchdowns, four interceptions this season. And he said, he told me, look, we got to make him uncomfortable. And that starts up front. We got to get pressure on him. And he says, because pressure reveals character. He loves his coach mechanisms. Coach Lewis does. But he says pressure reveals character. And when you can get pressure on a quarterback, no matter how good he is, he will make mistakes. Kent State had their best defensive performance of the season on Saturday against Akron. They gave up zero points. And it was their first shutout since 2008. Their first shutout against Akron since 1949. And I think it was part of the reason it happened was because of the coaching change they made. Firing their defensive coordinator and bringing in defensive coordinator C.J. Cox. Kent State's going to need to have another defensive performance like that. And they're also going to get tested. They need to be able to still commit to the run game because Kent State on Saturday against Akron, they had 410 yards against Akron, and they just dominated on the ground. 
Miami's rush offense has only given up over 100 yards twice this year. And that was to teams like Cincinnati, who was who's a top four team in the country we just talked about. And against Lou Nichols, who ran for 200 yards against Kent State's defense a couple weeks ago. They held them to 50 yards. So this Miami rush defense is no joke at all. So what does that mean for Kent State's offensive game plan? It means you're going to have to put the, the game in the hands of your leader, in the hands of your senior quarterback on senior day, Dustin Crum. In what will be his last game at Dick Stadium, the game is going to be in Dustin Crum's hands. He's going to have to throw the ball down the field to his receivers like Dante Cephas, like Keyshawn Abram, like Jay Sean Polk. And I think Kent State has that home field advantage. Coach Lewis is going to have Kent State focused on a at a championship level. And I think Kent State is going to win and have their and they're going to continue their undefeated streak at Dick Stadium. They haven't lost at Dick Stadium since 2019. And they're going to go undefeated at Dick Stadium this year. They're going to beat Miami. Very close game. If you want a score prediction, I'll say Kent State 37, Miami 34. Maybe a last-second field goal. Maybe a, 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 Miami's driving to go kick the game-tying field goal. And Kent State cruises, uh, cruises, <laughs> forces a crucial late turnover. Maybe something like that. Kent State's done that a couple times this year. They did in the Buffalo game. Buffalo game. They also did in the Bowling Green game. Kent State's defense, I know they, I mentioned they just fired their defensive coordinator a couple weeks ago, but they've had the innate ability this year to make big plays when they need them, force crucial turnovers when they need to. And I think they do that on sa- Saturday. And Kent State wins their first MAC East Division title since 2012 and sets up a rematch of that MAC title game in 2012 against the Northern Illinois Huskies. All right, let's get to an. Let's get to our next game that we are going to pick this week. And that is, let's see, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons at the Boston College Eagles. I'll go with Wake Forest. They had a coming off a disappointing loss to Clemson last week. But I'm going to go with Wake Forest over Boston College. Alabama at Auburn. Give me the Tide. Oregon State at Oregon. I'll take the Ducks. Western Kentucky at Marshall. Give me Marshall. Wisconsin at Minnesota. I'll take Wisconsin. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Very, very, very good game. But I got to go with Oklahoma State. Kentucky at Louisville. I'll go Kentucky. And BYU at USC. Give me BYU. And that is what's going on around the college football slate. Real quick, some breaking news in the Jack of All Trade Sports Podcast. The college football playoff rankings have been released as we've been recording this episode. I just told you my top four, which was number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State, number three, Alabama, number four, Cincinnati, number five, Michigan, number six, Oklahoma State. But what does the committee think? We have that answer for you right now. Let's go to the committee's rankings. Number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State. Number three, Alabama. Number four, Cincinnati. Number five, Michigan. Number six, Notre Dame. Number seven, Oklahoma State. Let's, get, let's give a hand to the college football playoff committee. Let's give them a hand. They did the right thing. They put Ohio State above Alabama. Excellent, excellent job by the committee. And they also did the right thing by putting Cincinnati in the top four for the time being. Because right now, if you look at the resume of the teams in discussion for the top four, Cincinnati, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. Cincinnati has a better win than Michigan and Oklahoma State on the road at a top 10 team in Notre Dame. You can't put Notre Dame in the top four ahead of Cincinnati because Cincinnati has a head-to-head win against Notre Dame. But 
With that being said, Michigan and Oklahoma State both have the opportunity if they win their conference titles. So that means Michigan beats Ohio State and wins the Big Ten Championship, which I already told you, I don't think it's going to happen. But if Oklahoma State can beat Oklahoma and win the Big 12, they have the opportunity to beat uh, to jump Cincinnati in the top four rankings. But right now, the committee nailed the top four and nailed the top seven, pretty much, in my opinion. And some other t- and some other teams that are ranked, you know, Baylor's in the top eight, so that's another good win on Oklahoma State's resume. Ole Miss is a top ten team once again. Oklahoma is in the top ten. Michigan State dropped all the way to twelve after getting blown out by Ohio State. They dropped five spots from number seven to number 12. A little surprising to me that they kept teams like Ole Miss and Oregon above Michigan State. I don't know. I think Michigan State has some better wins than them, but especially against number five, Michigan. But, you know, I think the committee did a pretty good job this week. All right, let's get to the NBA. Uh, We're early in the NBA season still, but there have been some trends that have been sticking out to me. But before we get into the on-play, on-court play, let's get to the off-field antics. Uh, off-court antics because I know that's what you guys come here for I've said it before I'll say it again in this podcast the NBA in terms of pure off-the-court drama off-field drama is the best league in all of sports it's so petty you got drama queens like Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving doing something crazy night in and night out you got Kevin Durant firing off at fans on Twitter it's great it it is so great the NBA's off-court drama but sometimes that off-court drama translates to on the court. And that happened Sunday night in Detroit as the Pistons took on the Lakers. Lakers were down nine. Isaiah Stewart was shooting a free throw. And LeBron James was visibly frustrated. And so LeBron decided, don't think it was egregious, but he did essentially hit Isaiah Stewart in the face. And it did draw blood. And it was pretty nasty. And if you slow down the replay just enough, LeBron meant to hit Stewart. I don't think he meant to hit him in the face and draw blood, but he meant to hit him. You can tell by the look on his face. He got him pretty good with the arm. It drew blood. So then Stewart and LeBron, they're going to midcourt. They're kind of getting mad at each other, getting each other's face. They separate them. Then Isaiah Stewart starts running like a madman toward LeBron after he gets ejected, throwing security guards out of the way. It was one of the craziest things I've seen on a basketball court. The, the, the PA announcer in the background was saying, fans, please refrain, refrain from throwing stuff onto the, to the court because he didn't want the malice at the Palace Part 2 to happen. But the clip of Isaiah Stewart running across the court trying to get LeBron, Isaiah Stewart sprinted into the tunnel, and he was going to go out the Lakers tunnel to try and get to LeBron to try and fight him. It was crazy. It was crazy. Russell Westbrook put his hands up. It was going to be a full-on throwdown between the one-win Pistons and the Lakers. And I I just got to play the the audio clip of the Pistons-Lakers fight for you guys when Isaiah Stewart starts running like a madman because it is absolutely, absolutely hilarious. And it's it's just something I've never seen before. Let's see if we can get the... LeBron James, Isaiah Stewart, and the, the clip of the YouTube video is LeBron James ejected after Isaiah Stewart literally tried to fight everyone. <laughs> Let's get to it. Here's, here's the audio clip from the Lakers. I believe it's the Lakers broadcast of Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James fight, and we'll get to the aftermath of it 
after this, after you guys hear this. There's recently... This is the Lakers broadcast, by the way. We saw Zach Levine light him up, then Giannis, and then Jason Tatum. Tonight, it's their number one guy, Jeremy Grant. Uh-oh, uh-oh, Stewart and LeBron. Stewart is hot, and everybody's coming off now. Now, this is ridiculous. Yeah, he must have caught an elbow or something, but... Oh, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of blood streaming from the side of the eye. Look, here goes Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little upset. You've got coaches. You've got security guys. Look at Dwayne Casey's like, just calm down. And there's Cade Cunningham also. It was along the free throw line on the free throw. And he's still trying to get loose. <laughs> he is knocking over. And he's out of the game without question. I mean, this it's is like he's running through. He was out of the game and he's out for the next two games. He got suspended by the NBA for that as well as, as, well as LeBron James. LeBron James... Got ejected from that game, only the second ejection in his 19-year career. And he got suspended for his role. It was a flagrant two foul. So LeBron suspended one game. Isaiah Stewart suspended two games. But that brings me to my reaction to this whole thing. Was it a dirty play by LeBron? I don't think so. I think it was a basketball play. They were boxing out each other. Contact happens. It should have been a flagrant two, though. It was excessive contact. He didn't need to throw an elbow at him. But Isaiah Stewart was more in the wrong here. But let me tell you why La GM, La Genius, is a genius and why this will unite the Lakers for the rest of the season. Because at the point in the game when this fight happened, the Lakers were down 78-66 to to the lowly Detroit Pistons. And then after that, the Lakers went on to win the game on, behind a dominating performance by Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, the two teammates who have not been able to gel with LeBron yet. LeBron... Getting off, getting ejected inspired the Lakers, and they rallied together, and they won the game, and it could be the turning point in their season. And speaking of bad turning points, let's go to the Cavs. Um, <laughs> we were raved about the Cavs two episodes ago, how great they were playing. They're a young team. I even called them a playoff team. But a, a concerning trend sticks out for me for the Cavs in these last couple games against two very good teams. I will give them that. They've had a brutal, brutal, brutal schedule this month, their last three games, let alone were against the Nets, the Warriors and the Nets. So that's no easy schedule for a rebuilding team like the Cavs. But I guess this is a good news, bad news scenario for the Cavs. The good news is they were leading in all these games. They're up by 13 on the Golden State Warriors on Thursday, November 18th. They got outscored 36 to eight in the fourth quarter. They were leading by 10 at halftime over the Nets. And they got outscored 32 to 19 in the third quarter and 33 to 30 in the fourth quarter. So the trend that I'm talking about with the Cavs is they've been blowing late leads to teams that are better than them, which, you know, is easy to do. But if the Cavs want to take that next step and become that playoff team like I think they have the potential to be, they need to start closing out games. And part of it's because they've had injuries. They, Evan Mobley 
is on the shelf, the uh, rookie of the year, in my opinion. He's been on the shelf with an elbow injury for a couple weeks now. Uh, they just got Jared Allen back, who's I think should be an all-star. He had 20 points and 15 rebounds last night against the Nets. Darius Garland's playing at an all-star level. And obviously the brutal blow for the Cavs was that Colin Sexton's out for the year with a torn meniscus. So this Cavs team is dealing with a lot of injury problems right now, but when they come back healthy, they need to start finishing games. And that brings us to the last thing I want to talk about today. You know, you guys, I realized in a couple when we did our NBA preview, I said when I was previewing the episode, I said I would give you my NBA Finals prediction, and I never did. I never gave you my Finals prediction, and what kind of host am I? If I promise you guys that and don't deliver. Well, now I've gotten it. Now, lucky for you guys, I've gotten an 18 game sample size in the NBA season. So now I can give you an early season NBA finals prediction as opposed to a preseason NBA finals prediction, which means I'm a little bit more informed. I've gotten to see each team play. There have been some surprises this season, some underperforming teams. Let's get to, we'll start with the Eastern Conference. Um, far and away, this season, the best team in the Eastern Conference has been the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, they got Kevin Durant, top five player in the world, played like a top one player in the playoffs last year. James Harden is rounding into form offensively, finally starting to figure out the Nets offense. I love what this Nets team's doing. I think they're the most talented team in the league. The loss of Kyrie Irving hurts them. And this, this, this sucky thing for the Nets franchise is that it's Kyrie's selfishness that is keeping them from being my pick to come out of the Eastern Conference. They had Kyrie Irving. No doubt I would pick them to come out of the Eastern Conference and represent the East in the NBA Finals. But I can't do that because outside of Kevin Durant and James Harden, they don't have an elite third option. And every team pretty much that wins a championship, I think the Bucs are an outlier, has had an elite third option. The team I'm going to pick to win the Eastern Conference it's going to shock a lot of you. It's going to shock a lot of you. You're going to be like, does this guy even watch the NBA? Does this guy even know what he's talking about? I'm going to pick the Miami Heat. We, do we forget the Miami Heat went to the NBA Finals two years ago? I think Jimmy Butler is the most underrated player in the NBA. Do we forget in the 2020 NBA Finals that Jimmy Butler went toe-to-toe and beat LeBron James two out of six games in those finals. Do we forget that? This Miami Heat roster is very, very, very talented. Jimmy Butler's playing like an all, all-star. Tyler Hero has taken that step in his third year. They got a bona fide all-star big man in Bam Adebayo. And what did I say about all-star teams in the NBA and championship teams in the NBA? They have a legit third scoring option, preferably with championship experience. Who is that in the Miami Heat, you may ask? It's Kyle Lowry. They signed him this offseason. He's been a great fit in Miami. Kyle Lowry. And they also got a good defensive player from the Milwaukee Bucks in P.J. Tucker. The Miami Heat right now are my pick to come out of the Eastern Conference. Other teams I can see winning the Eastern Conference, there are three of them. Brooklyn Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Chicago Bulls. Those are the only other three teams I can see winning the Eastern Conference. The West is a little more tricky. Right now, the Warriors are on top of the West. They're 15 and 2. They don't even have Klay Thompson. They're 9 and 1 at home. They're 6 and 1 6 and 1 on the road. They've won 4 in a row. But can they be consistent? Can Steph Curry carry this team in the playoffs? We haven't seen him be able to do that with a team. You know, we we uh, in 2015, I guess you could say he did it, but the Cavs were injured. 
He couldn't do it in 2019 against Toronto when Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson went down with injury. Can he do it this season? I don't know. But they've, you know who's been a very good bright spot for this Warriors team? They're going to get Klay Thompson back. I mentioned that. But Andrew Wiggins has been playing very, very well for this Warriors team, as is Jordan Poole, the third-year guard out of Michigan. Those two have been the X factors on this Warriors team and a big reason why they're 15-2. But the hottest team in basketball right now is my pick to make it to the NBA Finals. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Nuggets. It's not the Clippers. Not the Warriors. Not the Mavericks. Not the Jazz. It's the hottest team in basketball. Who's are 10-0 in their last 10 games? Who've won 13 games in a row? The Phoenix Suns. The Suns. They made it to the Finals last year, and they won 13 games in a row to start this year. And what did they do? They got better. Devin Booker's improving year in and year out. Chris Paul came back. DeAndre Ayton came back. They brought in some good veteran players like JaVale McGee to help them off the bench to give DeAndre Ayton a little bit of a break. I like this Phoenix Suns team. They're just young enough. They're just scrappy enough. Their head coach, Monty Williams, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Just from what I've – and like I said, I'm basing this off of what I've seen so far this season. I would pick the Phoenix Suns to go to the NBA Finals. And there are a couple other teams I think they could get there. The Warriors are one. The Lakers are one. And the last team that I think could get to the NBA Finals is the Nuggets. Those are the three teams in the West that I think could make it. The Clippers, without a fully healthy Kawhi, I can't see it. And the Jazz are just too inconsistent in the playoffs for me to be able to say that they can make a run at the NBA Finals. But right now... If I had to pick an NBA Finals matchup, it would be a very uncharacteristic matchup between the Heat and the Suns, a rematch of, I believe, the 2006. And No, that's not correct. The 2006 NBA Finals was the Heat and the Mavericks. But th- those two teams were very good in 2006 when the Heat had Dwayne Wade and Shaq and the Suns had MVP Steve Nash. But it would be kind of a throwback matchup if those two teams were to meet in the Finals. And that is all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jot Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod. Don't forget to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And you can also support the podcast on Anchor. And we also just added the podcast to Amazon Music. If you're a big Amazon fan, you can now listen to Jack of All Trades on Amazon Music. We will be back with another episode next week. I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. And until then, I've been Jack Burney, signing off.